first step is just, it, it's so cliche to say that the first step is the hardest step, the but hardest. It, it so is. Oh my God. You will come up with every excuse in the book why not to do it. And it is yeah. hell and torture to move that leg to take that first step. Yeah. And, and all of the excuses that you come up with make perfect sense to you at the time. But then the interesting thing is after you take that first step, you're like, that wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. What the hell yeah. took me so long to do this? You know, yeah. and suddenly you give yourself permission to take down all of those barriers that you had put up in front of yeah. you and, and you can be off and running quite literally in a lot of cases. Yeah. Hi everyone. And welcome to the eat real to heal podcast. I am your host, Nicolette Richet, and I'm really, really excited to announce today that this is our 100th show. Woo, 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 woo. So I wanna first give a shout out to a few people out there. Mary Lynn Tremblay, thank you, thank you, thank you for starting this podcast off. She knew nothing about hosting a podcast, getting it online, knew nothing about it. And that woman, she is an incredible massage therapist. She is someone who cares for the planet deeply. She cares about humans and helping them reverse their chronic disease. She is all about love. And she showed us that love by getting this podcast off the ground. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Marilyn Tremblay. If you are in Golden BC people, please look her up and definitely get on her table because she is one of the best massage therapists that I have ever met. And now the second person that I would love to celebrate today is Becky DL. Becky, you have been here while we have changed everything over, while we have, you know, rebranded the podcast a few times. And I just love your excitement. Every time you listen to a show, as you're editing it, editing it, you just come back and you're so invigorated and you just have so much energy, which gives me energy to keep doing the show. And I love how you love every guest as much as I do. You are somebody who loves learning. You are someone who shares the knowledge and that is so important. And then lastly, I really want to thank all of our listeners. If it wasn't for you, we would not have this show in 89 different countries. We have had tens upon tens of thousands of people listen to the interviews with guests that have healed themselves, guests that have used food as medicine to reverse their chronic diseases, including diabetes and infertility and autoimmune disorders and cancer. It is so wonderful to have individuals who have done the work, who showed up, who put the steps in place to be able to heal themselves so that they can get off their medications, cancel their surgery, and live a long and vibrant life so that they can be present and available for their families, so that they can give back to their community. Thank you to our guests, which also include our doctors, our physicians, um, the scientists, the researchers who take time out of their busy days to be able to share their knowledge with me, with you, my wonderful guests who listen to these long form shows and share them with others. Really, it is amazing to have people share the knowledge that they have so that other people can learn, especially in this day and age where everybody is running around so busy. It is really, really, really hard to 
um, put time aside to say, I want to be of service to others and educate others and share the knowledge that I have. So Becky, Mary Lynn, you are podcast listeners and all of the guests on our show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's celebrate 100 shows and 100 more shows to come. And now without further ado, I'd love to introduce an amazing guest. We held out for this guest to be our hundredth guest on this show because of the fact that I deeply love this human being. He is funny, he is wise, he is compassionate, he is kind, and he is vulnerable. He is somebody who is so courageous and he did something that most people do not do. He had a food addiction, at five feet, six inches tall, Chuck Carroll, the podcast host of the PCRM podcast, Exam Room podcast, is here to share his story of how he lost 265 pounds. At five feet, six inches tall, he was 425 pounds. He had a 66 inch waist. And you know, the Eat Real to Heal podcast, we are not about weight loss. We don't do anything with our Eat Real to Heal programs that's about losing weight. It is always, always about getting healthy. And that is what Chuck brings to the show today. Despite having a food addiction, he learned and went through all the trials and tribulations, all the diets, all the cleanses, all the um, everything that you hear out there that, you know, people post on Instagram and say that it works when it actually doesn't because 99% of people who diet with these bad diets, they gain a hundred percent of their weight back and more within the first year. And Chuck had tried all of that, but this courageous human being he decided to go where most people don't go. He turned to a plant-based whole food diet and he ended up being able to lose 265 pounds without going to the gym. He is really the epitome of proving out that food is medicine, food is healing. He was suffering from some of the most extreme health conditions where it was either lose weight or die. And so for someone who was fat shamed his whole life, who was then told by his doctors that if he didn't lose the weight, he was died, he put everything down and he just went for it and he did it. Now, it's not always doing that because we live in a world where every single day we are faced with food choices and it's not easy to make the healthy choice. But he decided to do that for himself, for his heart, for his body. And it's incredible what he did. So you definitely want to listen to this podcast and share this podcast with others, not because you want them to lose weight, but because you want them to be healthy and free of chronic disease. We often, if we ever mention anything about weight, it's amazing how all the emails come in and people start to say that we are fat shaming. And I have to write big, long emails to say, absolutely not. It's all about getting healthy. It's all about eating more food than you can ever imagine, but being able to keep the risk factors away Obesity is a risk factor for many chronic diseases, but it's also a symptom of our current state of food crisis. And so it's so important for people to realize that food addiction is a real addiction and to learn what Chuck did to overcome that. 
So you know what to do, my friends. Please press play, continue listening all the way to the very end because Chuck is going to be sharing with you everything that he did to turn to health, to eat real, to heal, which he continues to do to this day. Thank you all. And I'll see you at the end of the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. I am your host, Nicolette Richet, and I am so excited today, beyond excited, because I have the infamous Chuck Carroll on our show. Chuck is an incredible human being, and I just want to welcome you today, Chuck, for taking the time out to share your just remarkable story with our guests. Oh, it's such an honor to be here. I mean, you're you're the remarkable person. Like, I'm truly honored to be with you here today. So thank you so very much for having me. Now, Chuck, you are the perfect guest in one sense because you have the radio voice from all your work in radio. Plus, you have your own podcast uh, with the Physicians Committee with Responsible Medicine, the Exam Room podcast, which is amazing. Um, everybody definitely needs to check that out. But what some people may not know about you is that you have a remarkable healing story. And I think you're the first person on our podcast. Maybe we, oh, we had, um, um, Josh, uh, Lajani. Yes. Lajani on our show. So he has a remarkable story too, about incredible weight loss. And I'm really excited to be talking about this with you because we often get customers that think that every time we talk about weight loss, we are fat shaming. And this is something I want to definitely get into on the show because of the fact that weight loss to lose weight, to be skinny is very different than weight loss to actually be healthy. Agreed. And so this is why this topic is so important that we're having this discussion today. And being that you are, you have the examining podcast where you have lots of physicians and you have lots of research behind everything that you do as well. Um, you've interviewed incredible humans around this exact topic as well. So we're going to dive into that to really decipher the difference between fat shaming and weight loss for health. I love that. I can't okay. wait. That's one of my favorite things to talk about, as a matter of fact. And that's a message that needs to get out there. So how much time do you have? Let's we've, do this thing. We've got lots of times and we're going to be doing this podcast with you probably a few times because there's so many good things to dive into. <laughs> so I want to take the audience back to um, where you went from when you started to gain weight in an unhealthy way. And you noticed that and then we're going to take them through the journey of you becoming the weight loss champion. So we'll talk about that and then where that's led you to now. And we want everyone to ride that roller coaster ride because it wasn't a straight, you know, shoot the arrow, hit the target journey. I'm sure that there was lots of learning, lots of hills to climb, metaphorically speaking. Um, and, and we want to take people there. So this really started for you from a young age. You were about eight years old. Is that correct? Yeah, some, somewhere around there. I mean, I was, I was overweight long before I was eight years old, um, but couldn't really grasp the ramifications and what that meant until I got a little bit older. Like high school age is really when the doctor started working on me like, eh, you might want to change some things. And by might, I mean, if you don't change, you're going to die. I remember being told that when I was like 14. Um, but, you know, 
I was, I was aware that I was overweight and kind of embarrassed by it. Um, I'll take you back before um, even eight, you know, I, this was elementary school. And I remember we had this program where um, the police would come in and they would essentially give you a driver's license only it wasn't a driver's license it was just a random identification card really but yet they captured your height and your weight and i remember stepping on the scale and and that thing reading more than 100 pounds and being in elementary school and i remember being just so embarrassed that i turned to the person um and i was like i need to go on a diet and that was the first time that, you know, I, I recognized that, yeah, all right, so maybe there's a little bit of an issue here, but the older I got and the more I learned um, about it, you know, the more I kind of recognized like, yeah, it's, it's not just about trying to look thin like your classmates, it's about, yeah, you really need to get your health in order because it spiraled pretty at, at a pretty young age. And now, would you say your, you know, your weight gain was related to your lifestyle in your family? Like at that time, were you thinking this is just my lot in life is genetic? You know, like what would, did you have any understanding about it? And did you have any idea of what to do about it then that you thought that you maybe had control over it or this is just what it was? I kind of thought that it was my lot in life, to be honest with you. My father struggled with his weight. My mom, uh, she began struggling with her weight as well. Um, and so I was like, yeah, that's just the way that it's going to be. You know, I didn't recognize that what I was eating was really the true response. That, that was truly why I was packing on the pounds. Um, I couldn't put those two things together because I guess my assumption was everybody in the world was eating the exact same thing. And some people were overweight and some people weren't. And those are just the cards that you were dealt. So that's what I, I saw as a young kid. But, you know, obviously the older you get, the more you learn, the more you kind of recognize like, eh, no, we have a lot more control over what it is that we put in our body. And maybe Scott uh, is not struggling with his weight because he's not going to the drive through two or three times a day. You know, those are just the facts. Yeah. And when you were a teenager and, and, you know, you said you noticed, you know, being embarrassed, stepping on the scale in elementary school, and then all of a sudden now you're a teenager and you're going through puberty. Um, what was that like for you, like amongst your peers? Um, if you just want to sort of bring us into that, because I imagine that, you know, especially as you're a teenager, Instagram wasn't as rampant back then or didn't even exist back then, you know, so you didn't have these pictures online to compare to, which puts so much pressure on kids nowadays, but just what was that like you want, like for you on a day-to-day -day basis amongst your peers? You know, I, I tried to be proactive and just embrace my size and kind of put on this character. Uh, Instagram definitely was not around. Um, we, we still have MySpace. That was the thing. Yeah, um, right. and, then, and, and so, um, you know, but I, I just, I embraced it and I felt like it, because I did the majority of my peers, um, didn't give me as hard of a time as they could have. Um, but because I kind of in, by embracing it, you know, was making cracks myself that also opened the door for them, you know, to make cracks. And, and a lot of times it was kind of like, open season. Um, mm. I remember like being given the name heavy C, uh, in high school by one of my classmates, which, you know, wasn't 
you know, the nicest thing, but I was like, eh, I'll, I'll go with it. Um, but I, I was just, I was that kid. And so if comments were being made, uh, they were really being made behind my back. The more hurtful things were just being out in public and, you know, random people deciding to pipe in and, you know, just throw some, some pretty mean jabs at me verbally. Like, you know, I'll, you know, running across the street to try to make the light before, uh, before it turned and you know just somebody randomly in a car rolls down their window like hey run fat ass you know and it's like what really Mm -hmm. really you know or or being stopped in the grocery store like what are you a junk food junkie Mm -hmm. you know like get it under control fatty you know or or and we're gonna get to taco bell this one is the, is the one that stuck with me more than anything. Uh, you know, I was on a first name basis with the people at Taco Bell at one point. And I remember going to the the drive-through placing my order. And instead of them telling me, Hey, 20 bucks, please pull through the voice on the other end of the speaker said, you eat too much. I was like, Oh crap. You know, there we go. That one was a dagger. I wasn't ready to hear that from somebody else. And and I always wondered what it was that they were thinking. I was always embarrassed about playing this gargantuan $20 order. Um, but yeah, to, to have your suspicions confirmed that people were watching, people were judging. Yeah. Um, and in this case, you know, felt like they for whatever reason, felt comfortable enough to pipe, uh, you know, pipe in and, and, and say that like that one stung, but, you know, because I always had that worry, I also had a story at the ready, like, Oh no, this isn't for me. Uh, I'm getting a lot of this for people back at the, um, office. Yeah, that's it. I'm getting it for my colleagues too. And we just like to eat the same thing every day. Right. And, and you were up to, I remember reading on one of your blogs, I believe that you were up to about $10,000 a year. You were spending just to talk about alone. Oh yeah. 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 10,000 calories a day and $10,000 a year at Taco Bell alone. And mind you, I was in my early twenties, uh, at the time, early to mid twenties. Right. So really just getting going uh, with my career. So let me put that into perspective for you. Uh, my first job in radio, my first full-time job, my salary was only $23,000 a year. So <laughs> half of my damn money was going to Taco Bell. Like, wow. Yeah. And you did not own shares in that company at the time. I wish no. I did. <laughs> and now there's no way you probably would ever just out of ethics no. and morals. No, 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 no. Yeah. So, um, So when your doctor, when you're 14 said, Hey, listen, you know, you have to consider this from a health perspective, losing weight. Like what advice, do they give you any advice? Like, what are they telling you as a 14 year old kid that you need to do? They're just pointing out that, Hey, you know what? You're overweight or what was the plan? So, I I mean, it was literally, it was, um, it, it was somebody in my doctor's office, I guess my normal, uh, GP wasn't able to see me that day. So this was a a nurse practitioner. um, And she looked me right in the eye. And I will never forget she had this like real chiseled kind of a face, I guess she was like, kind of athletic and you know, just um, she was just like, if you don't lose weight, you are going to die, you are going to die at this rate. 
And that was, you know, um, right as I was being put on blood pressure medication at 14, because, you know, routinely it was like 180 over 100, um, something just sky, sky, sky high. Um, and you know, obviously because I was loading up on God only knows how many milligrams of sodium a day at that point. So, um, I just was really gaining weight at an unhealthy clip, but being told that, but not being given advice on what to do other than lose weight is like, you're basically telling a patient to go fly blind. Um, but I, I wish that that doctor had a little bit better bedside manner uh, that day as well. Maybe it would have been more rec- more well received because without that advice and with that sharp delivery, uh, instead of going to the grocery store and stocking up on healthy healthy groceries, what I did was I went right to Burger King and mm-hmm. later on that day went right to Taco Bell. So uh, it kind of backfired on the dock and it, it still took, even though I'm, you know, a teenager on blood pressure medication, it took more than 10 years, another 13 years before I actually did anything about it. And this is the part that is, that still happens today. So I know my mom, like, you know, she probably has a good 40 pounds to lose. And if she lost those 40 pounds, then her, you know, knees would be probably feeling really good. But every time she goes to the doctor to see about her knees, the doctor just says, lose weight, but no plan. So that's happening still today. And a lot of doctors, depending on, you know, what they're reading, they're just going to follow the fad trend for losing weight. Like you need to do Jenny Craig, or you need to reduce your calories, or you need to do keto that can help you lose weight, or you need to do, you know, so doctors are still prescribing um, these these methods for losing weight that we all know diets do not work. Diets do not work. Oh, no. Uh, I, I hope at some point throughout the conversation, we can talk about the cookie diet, which is my my favorite fad diet of all. Uh, we are going to definitely okay. talk about that. Okay. So, so, the, so when you were 14 and the doctor tells you to lose weight and you're just like, okay, I mean, you had to Burger King and then Taco Bell. Did you end up dieting as a teenager? Some, but I mean, not really. I mean, the first diet I honestly remember giving a good hard try to was, um, I guess I should say formal diet was something kind of doing in solidarity with my mom who had bought into some program. And I don't remember the name of it. It wasn't Mm -hmm. one of the bigger ones out there. It wasn't Weight Watchers or anything like that. But, you know, you get the prepackaged meals, you go to the gym and, you know, that's, that's your prescription, but it, it doesn't set you up for long-term success. So as long as you're doing the program, you're going to lose weight. But the moment you deviate from that, everything's going to go off the rails and the, and the weight's going to go back up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember like trying to lose weight in high school, especially, you know, like trying to make weight, uh, for a, a summer wrestling tournament and, uh, being, <laughs> I was too heavy to even wrestle in the heavyweight class. So like, there I am in the middle of summer, like with, uh, sweatpants on and, uh, and a parka and, uh, running stairs, you know, in a hundred mm-hmm. degree humid Virginia summer heat, um, that 100 degrees Fahrenheit, I should qualify. I don't yeah. know what that is Celsius, but um, that, I mean, that's, that was that was what I thought you had to do to lose weight at that right. point. I, I didn't know Jack Doodles about healthy eating. It was just, well, eat fewer calories and work, work out. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. 
And were you moving your body at this time throughout your teens? Like, were you playing on sports? And I mean, you tried to wrestle. So yes and no. Uh, I mean, I'm, I was never the most athletic guy. Um, you know, I mean, I was, I was more, um, <laughs> I was always around sports, but not, not always the, the athlete. Um, so no. Um, and, and a lot of times though, like I, I wouldn't even bother going to school. Um, so mm -hmm. like my grades were so poor because my attendance was so poor. I didn't even qualify, mm -hmm. um, to be academically eligible to participate in any sport or other activity. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, because I was, yeah, I was also battling crippling depression at this right. time. So I was, I was put on antidepressants when I was in, I believe the seventh grade, it was either late in my sixth grade, uh, class or early in my seventh grade class, because, uh, I had missed like three weeks of school and I went to the doctors. Mom took me back and the doc's like, there is nothing physically wrong with this guy. I'm going to provide, uh, or prescribe Prozac. And, you know, so that, that started that journey too. Um, and yes. that's incredible because here you have a kid in grade seven, which is like 12 years old, roughly, you know, um, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old, that's coming in, um, overweight, uh, not attending school, uh, poor grades. And then, you know, within an appointment prescribes, uh, antidepressants, which for me, I am everyone who listens to this show knows that sometimes we, we need that prescription drug to get us to a place where we can heal, start the healing. If we have a plan for true healing, but if you can avoid taking the medication altogether, then that's great. But if your, your blood pressure, like in your case was skyrocketing, you needed blood pressure medication to bring it down. If you didn't have another plan to be able to do it naturally. So just so people know, like, you know, I'm not against medications, but at the same time though, uh, I'm, I'm against prescribing things too quickly without a proper plan in place, but we only know what we know in that moment. So 1000% agree with that philosophy. 1000% agree with yeah. it. And I, and I really appreciate you talking about the depression because that was my next question for you. What was your mental health like throughout this time? Because we know the connection between our gut and our brain and our diet and food and our microbiome in our brain, but this was directly um, affecting your mental health. Oh or was God. the mental health affecting the, the eating and the diet? So that's maybe I'll reframe that question. Yeah. So that, that is a good question and I'm not going to BS you. So as healthy of a diet as I eat today, um, depression is still something that I struggle with. I, you know, when I talk about this on the show, like I, I never want to paint the picture that it has completely alleviated um, it. And that is something that runs rampant in my family. And, you know, um, it has certainly improved with a healthy diet, but there are some days when I'm just like, not necessarily the guy that you would expect, um, right. to meet when you, you know, listen to the podcast or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it is what it is. And, and I just remember during those times that, you know, tomorrow's going to be better and yeah. it, it nine times out of 10, it is. So, yeah. um, you know, God bless, but, 
Um, I, I do wonder um, if the depression would have gotten as bad as it was uh, if I were eating a healthier diet, um, because I would venture to say no. <laughs> right. um, you know, I, I do believe that there there was a huge part um, of that depression being so crippling at that age, um, not just because you know, teenage hormones and all that, but, you know, being diagnosed clinically depressed. Um and then not doing anything to improve that other than taking the medication, but then, you know, keep throwing gasoline on the fire, you know, and then the Prozac was supposed to be the fire extinguisher. But when you got like a five alarm fire and the Prozac is little more than a fire extinguisher, yeah. it's like, mm, you know, you're yeah. not really doing much to, to taper the flames, but that wasn't anything anybody was talking about is like, no. if you eat a healthier diet, things can improve. Even if you don't get 100% back, things will improve for you. And, and I wish I had that message. And I'm sure my teachers do yeah. too, wish that I had that message at a younger age. You know, yeah. I was never stupid. That was not Nicolette, why my grades were so poor. No. Like, you know, I remember I was on the verge of failing, like having to repeat my senior year, if I didn't get at least like nineties on all of my finals and my teachers just being furious with me that, you know, I showed up and I got like, I think the lowest score I got was like a 94. And then, you know, one of them being like, you don't deserve to graduate, but there's nothing I can do. And I was like, yeah, sorry. You know? Wow. So yeah. 94. That's 94 high standards. <laughs> I, well, I wanted to graduate, you know, <laughs> so yeah. it was like, yeah. I'm going to cram one night of studying for all of my courses and totally. go in and, and take the test. And there you go. Yeah. It's um, interesting because of course, you know, hindsight is 2020. 20, and of course we can always look back and say like, okay, we didn't know. And we didn't know. And it's true. We're learning so much every single day. I think they say that every single day, the amount of information that is created on that day is equivalent to like the last, and it might be like the last hundred years of information that was ever created. Like it's a astronomical amount of information that gets like put on the internet. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. And so every day we are learning every day, new research is coming out every day. We're having direct experiences. So we know these things, but at the same time, I feel like mental health, weight gain, um, you know, a lot of these, a lot of what so many people are really struggling with today that it still takes people a lot of time to figure out what works for them, like what is going to be the answer that helps them achieve results like you've achieved. Because I think your highest weight, was it 420? Yeah, it was, yeah five feet, five inches tall and 420 pounds. Yeah. Yes. Man, that was it. Yeah. And then now you're what? 155. Oh, no, uh, 140. So, uh, 155. Oh, 140. Yeah. So the, the whole going like really healthy plant-based yeah. sucked off those last 15 pounds of fat that had just been hanging around. Um, right. didn't even really realize that I had them, but they were there. They were there. Um, so yeah, now it's a total weight loss of 280 pounds. Wow. That is incredible. And it's incredible. And I mean, and I say incredible, like really meaning like, yes, that number is considerable, but also I know for myself, the last 16 years of my life, like since having my first daughter to having my three kids and then running multiple businesses and then becoming very sedentary behind my computer, coaching clients, you know, teaching them how to eat well, well, I was, you know, eating my oatmeal at, you know, in fact, 
I still kind of do it. I have my oatmeal here that is so cold because it was, you know, maybe four hours old and then I'll eat lunch at dinner time. And then, you know, so even though my food is healthy that I'm eating, it's still my lifestyle for the last 16 years hasn't been great. And two years ago, I finally, um, I would say had the courage because it, it really did take a lot of courage. I look back at that now. I also had enough of myself. Like I kind of got sick of myself making up the excuses like why I don't move my body and why I can't get myself on a regular eating program. Like of just like, you know, don't starve yourself because you're so busy working, recognizing I was now a workaholic, you know, all of these things that I had to realize. And it, it was hard. It was so hard to get started. And I was maybe 20 pounds overweight, I would say mm -hmm. from like an ideal, probably healthy weight. And so I know how hard that was to do that, to, to make that move. And so I just want to say, when I say that that is really remarkable and why you are a remarkable human being is because I know the amount of courage, the risk, the, um, the emotional journey that you must've had to go through just to be able to get started oh, in making God. those changes. The the first step is just, it, it's so cliche to say that the first step is the hardest step, the but hardest. It, it so is. Oh my God. You will come up with every excuse in the book, why not to do it. And it is yeah. hell and torture to move that leg, to take that first step. Yeah. And, and all of the excuses that you come up with make perfect sense to you at the time. But then the interesting thing is after you take that first step, you're like, that wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. What the hell yeah. took me so long to do this? You know, yeah. and suddenly you give yourself permission to take down all of those barriers that you had put up in front of yeah. you and, and you can be off and running quite literally in a lot of cases. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and you, you went through many different processes I've seen through reading a lot of the things that you've put out there and hearing your talk. And so it wasn't just a overnight, I went out and did it. So that's what I want to take people through is when so you were working in radio right you had this amazing big personality they loved you you're working in radio tell us about um what happened so now you you know you recognize you're spending ten thousand dollars at you know taco bell half your paycheck goes to taco bell every year what was that pivoting point for you that allowed you to be able to take that first step Oh my gosh. Uh, I mean, there wasn't really one, one thing. It was kind of a, a culmination of things, you know, and, and, but I had so heavily embraced this big Chuck character. Like I thought that I needed to be this guy in order to be on radio. So like, that was the biggest thing that I kept mm. telling myself to justify those trips uh, to Taco Bell. Like I knew I was going to, you know, eventually die and, and have a heart attack. Um, because one heart disease runs rampant in my family. Like I never even had the opportunity to meet my father's father because mm. he died of a heart attack before I was even born. And then on my mother's side, uh, my grandfather, their granddaddy, he, he had a series of heart attacks, you know? Mm. Um, and my dad, he was starting to have some heart issues at that point. I was just on the accelerated plan. Um, but nonetheless, despite the fact that there was that strong genetic component there and I was doing everything to make sure that, yeah, I was going to be that guy too. Right. Um, I, I said, well, look, you know, if I want to have this career, this is what I need to do. And, and, and what made it extra difficult, the, the irony of all ironies here is I wasn't just working in radio. I was working at WBIG 
big 100.3. I can't make this up. So I, I had to be, to be on WBIG, big Chuck. And so right. that's who I was. And so, you know, we, we were talking about silly little diet programs that you do here and there. That brings us to the cookie diet. Yeah. And I will never forget the day that uh, the sales force came to me and they were like, look, we've got this new client. Uh, they want to buy, you know, advertising and they're interested in working with you uh, because we think that you would be a perfect fit. You want to lose weight, don't you? Of course I want to lose weight. Well, let's try the cookie diet. And this turned out to be, uh, well, what I thought was really exciting and novel at the time, um, you know, eat a cookie for breakfast and a cookie for lunch. And you, you wash those down with a ton of water and those are supposed to fill you up until your next meal. And then, you know, you get like, eat this ambiguous, healthy dinner and the sensible dinner. And, but, but, but just like that conversation at the doctor's office years earlier, they, they never bother to explain much else other than make sure there are vegetables on your plate. And it's just like, what, what, oh, okay, seriously, two cookies, sensible dinner, you're good to go. And then make sure that you work out. It's like, if you say so. And, wow. and so of course the cookie diet from day one was set up to fail, you know, absolutely you're set up to fail with this thing. What a gem, the cookie diet. <laughs> and you did it. And obviously it didn't work. No, hell no. Hell no. So this is the part that just really gets me. It's you really see that connection between the food industry and our health, right? Because the food industry and something like this, the cookie diet, like the, the individuals, the companies that can afford the advertising dollars to put this out there. And how many people around the world probably like have done that? you know, across North America, probably lots, lots of money has been made on that cookie diet versus, you know, like no carrot company is going to be like, Hey, we want to buy advertising dollars on your radio show, which, and maybe that's what we need. We need some of these billionaires and millionaires, like who have our philanthropists and have big hearts to be like, you know what, we're going to put advertising dollars into the, you know, plant-based whole food challenge, you know, to say that, let's see you like do this and we're going to make it super easy for you. I mean, if we could do that, but then at the end of the day, we have to sustain it, right? Right. Because there's nothing that's going to come in a package for you. That's going to allow you to get the same results versus yeah, talking about the lifestyle that you now lead. Mm -hmm. So you did the cookie challenge and then obviously that was done and over with. Yeah. probably as fast as you started. So then what happened after that? Cause you had also, had you done bariatric surgery at this point? I had not, no, I, I had not gotten that. Uh, but the cookie diet actually played a very, I didn't realize it at the time, a, a very pivotal role in getting me to that point where uh, I was desperate enough to, to have bariatric surgery because with the cookie diet, like, oh God, uh, anyway, That was when I realized uh, that I was addicted to food. And I know that there is a lot of controversy. I mean, even just as we record this today, there's a lot of controversy about whether cheese is addictive, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, there certainly, you know, is evidence to back that up. And I'm here to tell you that there is a reason why people can't go that, you know, day without going to the drive-through. There's a reason why, you know, even if you weren't addicted on that level, there's a reason why you feel like you need to have that certain sweet or that certain, you know, latte or whatever the case may be every single day. And you're not yourself until you get it. Yeah. 
if you just like forget the fact that it sounds weird to say, oh, I'm addicted to food. Like just if you can't go a day without something, wouldn't you say that you're addicted to it? Mm -hmm. And yeah, we're not talking about a cigarette or booze or narcotics. We're talking about a Big Mac for God's sakes. So we're going to interrupt this show just to share with you about an exciting program that we have going on. We launched this program last summer when I was doing my BC bike tour and run tour for 22 million strong. And it's called Get Off Your Fat Ass. Now, everybody gets in an uproar when they hear this if they don't understand what fat means. Fat doesn't mean you're lazy. Fat doesn't mean that you are huge, obese, you are 400 pounds. It does not mean that. Fat, F-A-A-T, friends, means that you are fabulous. You are authentic. You are transformational. You are amazing. You are all of the above. You are perfect as you are. But you are someone who does want to move your body in a healthy way. You're someone who does want to eat well in a healthy way. You are someone who wants to give your body the best of the best without having to literally go to the gym seven times a week and run on a treadmill if you hate it. This program is for anybody who has a big, hairy, audacious goal, a BHAG, and you want to achieve it this summer. You want to learn how to eat real foods so that you never have to diet ever again in your life. You want to learn the art and science of using your kitchen as a local pharmacy to keep you free of chronic degenerative disease. You are someone who just wants to be outside or inside or just moving your body in ways that you love. That could mean stretching on the ground. It could mean doing ballet. It could mean doing yoga, or it could be climbing the highest mountain, riding your bike across Wisconsin like one of our clients did. It could be climbing a huge, 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 huge trail mountain on your 15th birthday like Rena did, one of our other get off your fat ass clients. Or it can mean doing a 50K on your 50th birthday like one of our other fat ass clients. It also means letting go of the word fat and going back to the dope ass term, P-H-A-T-F-F-A or F-A-A-T. It doesn't matter. It's letting go of the word fat in a negative way and actually just stepping into your gorgeous, amazing, awesome self that you know you have the power to make these changes, but you just need a little support. And that's what I am here to do with you. I went from being sedentary, sitting behind my desk, working, 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 not moving my body, my heart pumping as I went off up a few short flight of stairs every single day to my office to literally training 13 to 16 hours a day because I loved it. I was so in love with running and I had not run in 16 years, but I chose two activities that I loved doing. And it just really meant being outside. It meant being on a bike. It meant running because I have so much fun when I run. And I didn't know how I was going to get started. So in Get Off Your Fat Ass, it's all about me sharing with you how I went from being sedentary to moving my body to now training to run and bike across the entire North American continent. Something I'll be doing next year, something I did last summer. I ran and biked across British Columbia. And if you have a big, big, hairy, audacious goal, 
which could just mean going for a walk, going from your front doorstep to your mailbox, I'm going to get you there. If it means that you want to give up the refined processed food and you want to switch to healing foods, don't worry. I got gotcha. you. I'm going to get you there. So head over to our website. The link is below and where you can sign up for Get Off Your Fat Ass starting this June. This June, everybody. We're looking for 30 individuals to join us and it is a transformational program. You are going to discover things about yourself that are going to empower you in all areas of your life. You are going to be able to use the mindset work. You are going to be able to use the physical body work. You are going to be able to use the spiritual connect to your deep inner self, connect to something bigger than you. And you're going to be able to use that work. You are going to be able to use the emotional work that you're going to be doing to further serve you in all areas of your life. So you are not just a powerless, passive individual showing up every day, just barely able to show up, but you are someone who can set a plan in place. You can stick to it. Why? Because we are going to choose the path of least resistance. We are going to remove the barriers out of your way. No more blocks. So you can go out there and achieve anything that you want. And we're going to be meeting live every single week for six weeks. And you're going to be given tools that will serve you, serve your family, serve your community. So I hope you join us. And now back to the show. Well, and, and that's where there's a lot of research done to show that, you know, they do these studies in labs to show that the fat in these foods, and it doesn't have to be a McDonald's burger. It literally can be the same oils, refined processed oils, the refined processed sugar, the refined processed salt, and all the preservatives, the MSG, right? The, that go into these foods are just as addictive as cocaine. They light up your brain centers and they make you crave it. And why? And this is the part where it's so important for people to understand this because when we're talking about addiction, we're talking about the exact same kind of addiction that somebody to alcohol has, that somebody to cocaine has. And it's the addiction that lights up our brain. It lights up our receptor sites. It is literally telling you because you are an animal. At the end of the day, we're humans, but we're just animals. We're just these roaming the earth, looking for food. We get it at the grocery store. The wolves get it out in the forest. But you know, it's it's about efficiency, right? So how fast and how quickly without having to expend too much energy, can I get all the fats, the sugars, the all the salts, the nutrients that we need? Mm-hmm. And if we can get it all in a Big Mac and fries and so, you know, a Coke or Pepsi, then all of a sudden nature's like, great. You've done your hunting for the day. You're going to be fine, but it's not enough to satiate you. So it becomes an addiction. Like it's lighting up our dopamine centers our serotonin centers in our brain. It is an addiction. And 100%. And and let me tell you like how bad of an addiction I have, right? So um, with the cookie diet, uh, day one, I'm being paid. I'm motivated to stay on this thing. I'm going to try to figure out what a healthy dinner is and go with it. So day one, okay, I got through. Day two, I start to like have little mood swings. You know, like I was very irritable, not necessarily the most pleasant guy to be around, uh, maybe even feeling a little bit sick. But really, all I could think about was getting my Taco Bell fixed. Like I was 
fixated on this. And I knew that I loved Taco Bell. I mean, because there was a time even before I was working in radio where I was working at a Mexican restaurant and I had access to literally every Mexican dish you could possibly want under the sun, but right. still, and, and, and get it for free. But right. still after my shift, I would always go to Taco Bell. So anyway, you know, here I am though, day three on the cookie diet, and I am in full blown freaking panic. Like my brain is spazzing out. Why? Because those dopamine release centers you yeah. were just talking about, the ones that light up like a Christmas tree, yeah. they were not being lit up at all. And my body was like, why am I not happy? Why am I not getting my fix? And I was really cranky at that point. If you said hello to me, I would have smacked you across the face. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and, and beyond that though, like my body was also like feeling really physically ill at this point, like full-blown right. detox withdrawal symptoms where I was in bed, like feeling like I had the flu. And so I'm angry and I'm sick. And all I wanted was this Taco Bell, but I had to like stay true to this cookie diet. Cause I'm being paid to do it. And by yeah. God, I'm going to go through with it. So I'm freaking out to the point where I got up out of bed and I put my fist through a wall thinking that, okay, well, anger release, I'm going to feel better, but no. Yeah. So then I put my fist through a door and that still didn't calm me down. So I devised a plan to wait until everybody in the house had gone to sleep. And then I would sneak out in the middle of the night, go to the 24 hour drive through and get my fix. Mm -hmm. And as much as I hated the fact that this is where I was, I am so glad that I had that night where uh, all of that rage led to the great epiphany. Mm -hmm. And that is when I got back in the middle of the night with that $20 heart attack in a sack, and I took my first bite of that burrito, it was like all of that anger, all of that mm -hmm. rage, just it instantaneously went away. And it was replaced by a warm calmness, like it literally felt like a wave had just washed over me. Yeah. And I felt good because I was no longer cranky pants, Chuck. But then there was also the guilt of I'm definitely not doing my best with the cookie diet. But then the reality that, holy crap, I'm addicted to this. I'm literally addicted to this food. And now we have a serious problem because I can't even go three days without this. And what the hell am I going to do? Wow. And even with that epiphany, it still took me a number of years before I was oh, able no. to make a really drastic decision to try to combat this. Because those excuses we were talking about, whether it's being sedentary at the desk or improving your diet, I had 18 million of them at the ready for why I couldn't make changes. Yeah. And this is a part that I think is just so important. I love that you're that self-awareness that came from, you know, doing the cookie diet. So I actually have to say, thank goodness you did the cookie <laughs> diet. Cause that's also part of that journey of healing, right? It's like all of these moments in our life are giving us bits of information that we can work with until we have a plan. And that's the other part is having a plan, like knowing what you can do next, because none of us are going to leap off the cliff into the unknown, right? Because what are you going to do? Like, you know, what are you going to eat if you don't eat Taco Bell? And then if you're going to go through these very, very real emotions, the anger, the, the brain, like needing it, the feeling sick, well, you're going to have to have a plan to, to mitigate that 
right? Because what, what's that going to do? It's going to be total destruction if you don't have a plan. So I think that's like another really important part of this, of this um, the two points. And for anybody out there right now that's listening to this, and it's to maybe just give thanks for all the nuggets of information that have been given to you as you figure out what the next plan is. Be really grateful for that, as opposed to, man, I was doing it wrong, or man, like, you know, why did I do that cookie diet? And, and that was just this one little piece that, you know, at first I was blaming the cookie diet for the, the people who even thought of the cookie diet, but then I'm like, you know what, this was part of your journey. So in a way, thank you, because that awareness that you had is huge in your journey. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I am very grateful. And and honestly, I don't regret anything that happened uh, throughout this entire life that I've led, you know, the, the ups and the downs, because ultimately everything led me to being the man that I am today. And I'm very happy to be in the position that I am in, um, in the body that I'm in and with the ability to in, hopefully inspire others, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to break down the barriers that they're setting up for themselves as well. So then they can take that first step and lead a healthier life that they thought was impossible. So I'm grateful for every single moment of pain that I ever had. Um, And whatever pain I have in the future, I'm grateful for that too. Uh, But I'll be even more grateful uh, once that pain goes away. (laughs) Well, I'm grateful for it too, because I know that not everybody is you know, in their life has these different opportunities that they, you know, perhaps learn from, you know, you got the cookie diet. Um, you're going to tell us about more things that came your way, but that, you know, if, if things don't, aren't necessarily lining up in the way that they're introduced to whatever that amazing documentary or that, you know, that a lot of people have watched Forks Over Knives, you know, that all of a sudden just changes their life. It's just their wake up aha moment. And sometimes it happens overnight for some people, for other people, you know, it doesn't like they are raised in communities where they're just told that this is food. And so this is the food they're going to eat. And, you know, they may not have the power. Like, um, I, I love this one guest that we had, he's the mayor of New York and he, uh, Eric Adams, you know, he had it in him when he was diagnosed with diabetes and losing his eyesight and potentially facing, you know, all the complications of diabetes to just Google, um, how to reverse diabetes as opposed to how to treat diabetes. And he, that moment was a defining moment because if he had looked up how to treat diabetes, he would have gone down a very different path. Instead, he ended up finding a very similar path that you found to lose weight, to get healthy. So I'm grateful for all of those moments too, Chuck. And I'm grateful for you because I know how many people you've inspired thousands and millions around the world um, just with your healing journey. I appreciate that. You know, I don't, I don't know if it's, if it's one or if it's a thousand, you know, I'm just grateful that there has been somebody who has reached out and said, yeah, you know, thank you. I identify Mm -hmm. with this and, you know, I've learned so much from the show and like, that's, that's what it's about. Like it's, it's not always about the paycheck, you know, Mm -hmm. the emails, the messages that I get from people who have been able to do what they once considered to be impossible. Um, That means the world to me because I know that feeling and I know that they're going to feel so good about Mm -hmm. what it is that they just experienced that then they're going to start talking about their story and somebody else is going to be inspired. And so like, that's what I call paying it forward. Um, And so that is how, you know, we've really just, we'll wind up in time 
optimistically, I will yeah. say healing ourselves uh, just organically by paying it forward. Exactly. No, I agree with you. And you are somebody who pays it forward every single day. So I just appreciate that so much. So let's go. So now cookie diet didn't work. What happens next in your life? Let's, let's keep walking that out. Uh, a whole heck of a lot of exercise throughout the cookie diet, you know, because like, first of all, I just want to make clear that I wound up endorsing that for a number of months and actually did wind up losing weight, but it wasn't because of the cookie diet. It was because I was in the gym, like two and a half, three hours a day oh. to burn just a ridiculous number of calories. So then I could literally go from the gym to Taco Bell, still lose weight. And, you know, nobody would be any the wiser. Um, but as soon as that endorsement ended and well, I was like, well, screw it, man. Like I'm done with the gym too. So all of that weight just came like pouring back on. I mean, right. in a freaking hurry. So that ultimately got me up to my heaviest weight of 420 pounds. And um, by this point, I'm like 24, 25. And my friends had grown so concerned uh, over my weight and my declining health that they decided to um, organize an intervention for me. Wow! And uh, yeah, I mean, I talk a lot about food addiction and, and those parallels. And you, you hear about these interventions for uh, friends and loved ones who are struggling with substance abuse. Well, something similar was in the works for mm. me, uh, only it was about my weight and my eating habits. And so I just became infuriated uh, by that when I got tipped off to the fact that this was coming. Right. And so I called up the person who uh, really was responsible for giving me my, my big break in radio and um, just read them the riot act right? and uh, cut, cut this guy out of my life for a number of years, as well as anyone else who was going to be involved in this. And um, because, I mean, I knew that I had a problem, but at the time my mind was like, well, who, who are you to tell me? Mm -hmm. Like, of course I know I have a problem. Screw you. Like, and that was just my way of kind of dealing with the fact that I wasn't ready to deal with, you know, a, a life post Taco Bell. Um, so I continued to, to eat that unhealthy diet. And, um, and what would you say to people who want to do an intervention for their loved ones who are struggling with, I mean, any addiction, but let's just around weight addiction or food addiction. Yeah. All right. So now this is a touchy topic um, because the bottom line is you're never going to be able to reach anybody until they're ready themselves right. to change. And that is the hardest thing in the world to understand because you're literally going to watch somebody self-destruct. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that you can't express your concern. Um, I think that by expressing concern, um, it can ultimately help a person get to a point in their life where they do want to change because you know, they, they want to do something, not just for themselves, but they know that they have people who love and support them and, you know, want you, you know, to continue to be around. Um, so by all means express that, but know that when you do express it initially, it can blow up in your face yeah. just as it did with my friend. Yeah. Um, but I also believe that, you know, there's a little part of that that is going to stick with the person who you're trying to reach and they, you know, they may not pull it out of their pocket that day, yeah. but it's tucked in there. And, yeah. you know, so 
just know that it's going to take time for that person and they're operating on their schedule and there's nothing you can do or say to speed up that schedule or slow it down. It is 100% in their control. So love them. Don't badger them every single day with it. Express your concern. Um, But know that really (laughs) there's not a whole hell of a lot that you can do, sadly. And, Mm -hmm. And that goes for whatever problem, you know, somebody is struggling with. Yeah, no, and that's beautiful. And having said that, I mean, I'm looking back and that, and you can't change the way that it happened, but would you still say that, you know, that you were glad that they did it or or maybe a different way of saying it is that it, looking back now, is there a different way that they could have done it? I'm glad that things went the way that they went. And and if you would have asked me this, you know, 12, 13, 14 years ago, I I would have given you a different answer, but Mm -hmm. I I, I am glad, you know, because to, to see kind of the gravity that you had such a a number of people who were concerned for you. And ultimately that concern is just all they're saying is I love you, man. And I want you to be okay. Um, So I'm glad that they went the way that they did. I don't think that I could have handled um, like 18 or however many people were involved in this individual conversations on a deep level like that. Like, that's just too much. So in this case, it kind of wound up being, you know, like the proverbial bandaid, you just rip it right (laughs) off. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I'm grateful for it. I'm glad that the actual intervention did not occur. Um, but the message was certainly received regardless. Um, so I think that it didn't go as planned, but, um, they, they got, accomplished what it was that they set out to accomplish. Yeah. When we love people and, you know, we have to speak that truth, you know, we can hold it in ourselves, you know, and definitely be like, okay, well, trust it. They'll figure it out on their own. Or we can step up and say, Hey, you know what? I have a truth that I need to speak. And it's, I love you and I care about you and I want you to be healthy. And I don't know what advice to give you, but just to be able to share that, I think that it doesn't matter how loving we are and kind we are in saying that, um, you know, it, it, it's a hard thing for somebody else to hear, mm-hmm. you know, that they need to change and that they need to do something. But at the same time, I think if we can just practice the act of being as loving and talking about our own feelings, right. And when we go and approach that individual, um, then that's the most that we can do at the end for of the sure. day. For yeah. Sure. For sure. Yeah. And just know that they may not be ready to have that conversation yeah. with themselves in the mirror. And because yeah. <laughs> I mean, that come to Jesus moment is an awfully personal one. And That's it's true. nine times out of 10 going to happen when they're by themselves. Um, but don't pester them. Just yeah. speak your truth once. Yeah. And see what happens. Hope for and the best. Keep loving them because they are oh, on yeah. a journey, just like you're on a journey. None of us are perfect. We all have our addictions around all sorts of different things. And one person's might be food and another person's is something else. And so, yeah, just keep loving that person. No question. And, and, yeah. but expressing that love doesn't mean that you have to, you know, express that concern every single time. No, no. It, it just exactly. means like have a nice friendship, you know, like yeah. that's, that's all it is. Or if it's a family member, be active in their life, you know? Yeah. No, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. So what happens next after this intervention Mm. that doesn't happen plants a seed next? I feel like we kind of glossed over uh, something here because um, in the middle of the cookie diet and uh, right before the intervention was also something profound that happened. And that was, 
I don't know if it's because I was on the radio and like, maybe I had like a certain level of celebrity. Like, I mean, we are talking like D list level local celebrity, but whatever. Still a celebrity check, still a celebrity. (laughs) I, uh, you know, wound up dating this girl and, um, she did not struggle with her weight. Like she was a very attractive, um, woman. And, and so the, the issue though, was that she did not want to tell anybody that we were dating. Like literally nobody, not her friends, not her family, not our colleagues, literally nobody. And she asked me also to keep it tucked with Mm -hmm. my friends, my family. Um, And the only reason why I could figure that somebody would make such a request was because they were ashamed to be dating somebody who was the size that I was. And, um, every single day I felt like I would ask her, you know, can we tell somebody, you know, like, can we come out? Uh, and every day the answer was no. And like, like that was just like being punched in the gut, like mm-hmm. repeatedly, like, I'm, I'm not good enough. Like, why am I not good enough? Oh, it's because I'm fat. And, you know, so, so that, that kind of got me closer toward emotional rock bottom and, and wanting to make a change. Um, and yeah, that, that was a big one, man. That one, that honestly, like I I've told this story a lot, but I don't tell people like that still stings to this day. Like talking about it, it just conjures up this emotion inside of me. That's like, still a little bit angry about that, you know? And it's, it's just God almighty. Like, well then why in the world did you agree to date in the first place? If I wasn't good enough in your eyes, like don't lead me on. But, you know, I, I convinced myself at the time that that was as good as it could possibly get for me. So I just went with it and I accepted it, even though in hindsight, I would not put up with that that nonsense. I don't know, like if I can use the language I want to use on this. <laughs> yes, podcast, you can. You can use yeah, it. <laughs> I mean, that was straight boo, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I wasn't, I wasn't about to, to, to deal with that again. Um, so that was big. And then, you know, again, people always ask like, well, what was the one thing that, that made you want to change? And it, it wasn't, it was, it was a combination of those two things. And then, a, a lot of other little things, the, the desire to live to see 30 years old, but then, you know, just what I call the flight of shame. And I think whenever you mm-hmm. talk to somebody who was significantly overweight, they have a story where, you know, they're just so embarrassed to get on a plane because they know that the seats are small and they're large and th- those two things don't go together. Yeah. Um, but I remember like I hadn't flown in just years. I mean, since I was a little kid, but I had to take a flight across the country for work. And I was praying to God on the days leading up to the trip that I would be able to somehow manage to fit in this seat. Um, yeah. And I remember distinctly like boarding the plane and making that right-hand turn up the aisle. Um, And I felt like literally everybody who had boarded ahead of me just kind of stopped what they were doing dead in their tracks. And they saw me, they saw my size, and then they were the ones that started to pray. Only they weren't praying like, oh boy, I hope Chuck can fit in a seat. It was like, oh God, please don't let this guy sit next to me. Right. And so I remember like seeing that and all of those eyes, like just fixated on me 
and walking toward the back of the plane and like having to turn so I could fit down the aisle. So I'd like a little bit of me would spill into every row. And then finally getting toward the back of the plane after feeling like a freak show and sitting down and trying so hard to fit into that seatbelt, even going so far as to like lift up my belly and like trying to sneak the belt underneath of that to see if it would fit. And of course it didn't. And then having to get up and walk back toward the front of the plane, find the flight attendant, ask for a seatbelt extender mm -hmm. so that we could take off. And, you know, again, everybody I felt was looking at me, um, except at this point, it was just kind of like laughter, like, oh, huh, look at the big guy with the seatbelt extender, <laughs> you know, like Nelson on the Simpsons. And, um, and that sucked. So yeah. you put all those things together and my declining physical health. And that was really kind of what drove me ultimately toward making some big time changes. Yeah. And that, thanks for walking us through that, because one of the things that it conjures up for me is that, you know, when you're overweight, it's visible, people can see, but that shame that you feel around all of those you know, that whole journey that you took, like leading up to getting on the plane, being on the plane, asking for the seatbelt extender. A lot of my clients, you know, all of them come to see me because they have chronic illness. And what we discover is that even if they're shaped like, you know, Scott Jerk, endurance athlete, um, or it doesn't matter what their shape and size is on the outside, when they have a chronic illness, they have a lot of symptoms that are happening where they experience exactly the same thing that you experience. So a lot of my clients, you know, they're in their thirties and forties and they have diarrhea 10 to 20 times a day. So for them getting on a plane, like they're just like, oh my God, please. Like I, you know, but this is what's going on inside of them. So even though you're sitting there on that plane with all these people, they're also suffering from a lot of these symptoms some of them have migraines 30 days of the month some of them have pms and like they're bleeding so much that they can't even go an hour without changing a tampon because they have cysts and fibroids and all of these things so these are all the things that are internal some of them are in so much pain that they don't even know that if they can attend their kid's birthday party from their endometriosis and so like the list of symptoms are so huge and so long that they're also experiencing the shame of their, their, that particular condition. And so in your case, we can see it. It's on the outside. It's physical. I mean, we also have health issues on the inside, of course, but for some of these people, like, you know, they're, they're going through exactly the same thing to the point that a lot of them, when they heal, they do our program and they fully heal and it, they heal so quickly. Some of them have head to toe psoriasis that they're trying to cover up and they heal so quickly. But then afterwards, I'm like, do you want to share your healing story? Cause we call them healing heroes. Do you want to share your healing story on our podcast? They don't even want to do that because they don't want anybody to ever know that those are the things that they were suffering with on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. You know, so yeah, man. that and, shame is prevalent uh, everywhere, as opposed to we really need to move into a place of a being able to talk about these things and b going, you know what, I am just a human walking this planet trying to figure it out. In your case, you were eating in a way that you gained weight. Other people are eating in a way that they create all of these internal illnesses that are causing these same feelings of shame. Mm. Yeah, and and at the knows. end of the day, we're all part of a system that is so broken and failing us, right? Mm, no question and about it. That is, you know, the people who should have the shame or the people who are like, 
perpetuating that system and they have the science to show that that system is broken. They have the knowledge and awareness and they know, but they're still perpetuating it. Yep. Right. But they got to make the almighty dollar. And uh, like uh, we could get down that rabbit hole and, and yeah. stay down it. But I mean, it's yeah, <laughs> the system's broken and it needs some fixing. Yeah. Um, but that's why, you know, podcasts like this are so important, you know, so, so that hopefully, you know, somebody hears this and they open their eyes a little bit and, and they start to see things for what they truly are. Yeah. Um, and, and then they're able to, to make some healthier decisions. And you went ahead and then you started making uh, other decisions for yourself. So let's- I did, I did yeah. like really big ones. Um, so at this point, like I said, you know, heart disease runs rampant in my family, both sides. And I was on the accelerated plan um, because by this point, I'm 26, I couldn't walk more than 10 feet without, you know, really feeling like I was going to kill over and have a heart attack flat out. Mm -hmm. Like you hear people who have a heart attack talk about their chest feeling tight. Um, you hear people use the analogy, an elephant sitting on their chest. And I'm telling you, every 10 feet, it felt like that. And I would have to stop and catch my breath and then walk another 10 feet. And I knew what that meant. Right. Um, and I was like, oh, crap, uh, I'm in big, big, big trouble. And so I also knew that I had a lot of life that I wanted to live. And I didn't want to call it a day um, before I was 30. So I wound up making the decision to have bariatric surgery. Now, I knew nothing about healthy eating still. Nobody has taken the time to tell me what true health actually is. Um, nobody told me, you know, like beyond fruits and vegetables are healthy. Nobody has explained any of this. And I knew that there had been members of my family who had had bariatric surgery. I had had friends who had had it. And they all put the weight back on pretty quickly, you know, mm -hmm. like they had a, a couple of years, maybe where they had lost some weight, but then it, it came pouring back on. And I was like, all right, this is my lot in life. This is what I'm going to do. It's going to buy me at least a few more years so I can hit 30. And then I'll probably check out, you know, sometime before I'm 40, maybe 40. And so um, that's, that's the decision that I did. And um, that boy, boy, has that like led me on a whole other journey. Oh my goodness gracious. And that's kind of why we're here today. Uh, I did not realize that that was going to open me up to a whole other healthy rabbit hole. And I'm telling you that um, not everybody who has that procedure uh, is so lucky. And I'm telling you, it is not a cure-all uh, for things. And I, I'm not judging the procedure. And honestly, like I said, I wouldn't change a thing. I love every single thing that I did because it led yeah. me here today. Um, but I wish somebody would have had conversations with me about alternative means yeah. um, before that. Yeah, because you went through the surgery and you lost weight. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah. And then what happened after that though? Well, uh, so I reached what uh, the doctor had defined as a healthy weight uh, for me at that point. I think I was like 175, 180. So I had lost quite a bit of weight. Um, and I, I knew that I didn't want to go back to eating fast food, uh, whether it was Taco Bell, McDonald's, anything. Um, I just associated that 
as the enemy at this point, because that's what put me in that position in the first place. But they don't have that conversation with bariatric patients. No. The only reason why I was able to make that decision and stick with it was because after the procedure, you have this window where you physically can't tolerate this stuff or else you'll get violently ill, right? Mm -hmm. And that because your stomach's been literally rewired. Yeah. And I did not want to be throwing up, get, um, yeah, anyway, that's not a whole pretty picture, man. But yeah, that's, that's what happens when you eat that really rich, high fat food. Yeah. Um, shortly after your surgery, eventually your body can tolerate that again. And a lot of people, the majority of people uh, go through uh, right back to their old eating habits. And because your stomach is very much elastic and it's like a balloon, yeah. it'll uh, just it'll keep right back out. Right. Exactly. And, and so like you, you already know that you're very good at ignoring stretch receptors yeah. because you needed bariatric surgery in the first place. So you can blow right through those signals that your brain is telling you uh, yeah. like, Hey, you're full. <laughs> nah, I'm going to keep going anyway. Yeah. So your stomach expands. So anyway, I say that to say this, we get to a point where I had lost the significant amount of weight. I'm down to like 175, 180. And I will never forget the surgeon sitting across from me at his desk that day. And he's like, you've done very good. It's time for you to eat a hamburger. And I was Thanks. like, what? And I still didn't know anything about a plant-based diet. I didn't know anything about pescatarian, vegetarian, any of those atarian diets. All I knew was that I had just been given the worst advice ever because literally, because I was lucky enough to have that epiphany uh, when I was doing the cookie diet where I knew that I was addicted to those foods, yeah. this guy had literally just given a crack addict a recovering crack addict, a rock of crack cocaine and oh, said, God. here, time to smoke it again, but you'll be okay. And I'd like walked out of the office that day angry. And I, I'm telling you the, the, the reason why I did not ever put the weight back on was one. Yeah. I learned a whole hell of a lot about nutrition, but I made a conscious decision that day, not to eat that hamburger. Right. knowing and trusting that voice in my head that even though this guy is a doctor and he has worked wonders on you so far, yeah. you're going to have to take that advice and throw it out the window because that is no good. Yeah. So he, yeah, I had to breathe there because of the anger that is literally like welled up inside of me so quickly from hearing that. And, um, literally he was giving you permission to feed your food addiction. Mm -hmm. not just to eat a hamburger, but to feed your food addiction. And but, but, but here's the thing though, he, he, like, he didn't recognize this. No. Like this is part of that failed system is doctors exactly. don't understand that. Even when you're working with morbidly obese patients yeah. who literally wear that addiction on their sleeve, yeah. like on every part of their body, yeah. they don't recognize that. They don't equate addiction in the same context that you do with alcohol, tobacco, all that stuff. Yeah. But food is the exact same damn thing and they don't recognize it. Yeah. And this is the part where the system absolutely has to change because nobody is created in a silo situation. They're created in a complex system and all of the conditions 
you know, from our conception onward, and some people would say even before conception, um, you know, contribute to who we are today. And so it's that nurturing, it's the genes, it's, you know, our complete environment, it's our knowledge, all of those play into it. And so anytime we're dealing with a situation where an individual is facing health issues, mental health issues, physical health issues, um, financial issues, it doesn't matter what it is, we have to look at that complete system and we have to have a system that can hold space for us so that that doctor could have the time to say, hey, have you ever battled any food addictions? Or we do know, you know, we were talking about earlier how sexual abuse can also contribute to um, these situations that we're in and, you know, having the time and, and space to be able to see the individual, to hear the individual, to hear those stories, because that's when we can bring in the true healing for individuals so that, you know, we know 99% of people who go on a diet gain all of that weight back and more within the first year. Yep within the first year. And so, you know, we know this information, but we still haven't designed a system to hold the individual completely, wholly, fully. And that's what needs to change. No. And, and, and like the, here's, here's the real bat s crazy part about this. Well, the other bat s crazy part about this is when I went for the consultation initially uh, to meet the surgeon for the first time and see if this was a good fit for me, um, they tell you like, well, if the first procedure doesn't work, don't worry about that. We got you. Mm -hmm. We can go back in and do what's called a revisionist surgery where they essentially staple your stomach for a second dag on time. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm like, well, I know my doctor, at least I felt like I knew my doctor well enough to think that he was not telling me to eat the hamburger, knowing full well what would happen. Because again, I think that he, he just, he doesn't equate that. No, but like, that's how crazy it is. But then also the majority of patients who hear that it's a sigh of relief for them in the consultation, because basically what you've done is before you even make a single change, you've given the permission, you've given that person permission to go right back to their old way of eating that brought them to that office in the first place. And it is just crazy to me that more people don't see that for what it is today. It's like, we just want to find every way in the book, every way imaginable to continue down the unhealthy road that we're on. Yeah. And it goes back to those excuses and those obstacles that we tell ourselves, but then also how we interpret messages from others also to fit our unhealthy narrative that we're telling yeah. ourselves too. So a lot of work, girl, a lot of work. We got to do a lot of these shows. We do have to do a lot of these shows. Do you have a few more minutes here? Cause I know we're coming up on two. Do you have time after this? Oh, we got so much more to this story. I'm yours for as long as you need. Okay, good. Well, let's continue then. Okay. So you have the surgery. You are one of the rare people who already had a plan before the surgery, which is that you were not going to feed your food addiction anymore. So you had already had that, which was amazing. I think that's a very important part of this show is for people to understand that is that you already knew that you were not going to walk that same path afterwards. Um, so what happens after this? Cause I know you did eventually find plant-based whole food, but you went down an unhealthy, or I should say plant-based 
way of living, but it wasn't necessarily a healthy plant-based way of living. Oh yeah, but definitely was not a healthy plant-based right out of the gate. Didn't know anything about it. Again, like it's, it's a journey, right? So you just kind of discover what works for you along the way. Um, and, but that still wasn't like for another five years, at least after the surgery that, that I discovered a plant-based diet. And I was just by interviewing somebody who themselves, um, had gone plant-based. So So jumping in to share with you another amazing program offered by Richer Health Consulting. It is called Decolonizing Your Plate. You've already heard from Chuck that when he turned to real whole foods, that is when he was able to heal his body, drop the rate, weight, get healthy, and start living his life optimally. So Richer Health has created an incredible course. The link is below. It's called Decolonizing Your Plate. It's all about learning about how the food industry came to be, how it's come to manipulate you, how it's come to teach you things about health that are not true. It's how we are going to be teaching you all about using food as medicine, using food for energy, use using food for regeneration, using food for fun, using food to make you the healthiest person that you have ever been and doing it in a way that is not only good for your body, but also good for your family, good for your community, good for the planet. So that is called Decolonizing Your Plate. It starts this June, the beginning of June. It runs live for six weeks. We're going to be jumping onto Zoom. We are going to be meeting. There's going to be accountability. And you will do a six-week challenge where you decolonize your plate to take back your life, to gain energy, to feel abundant in all ways internally, externally, because you will be doing what most people have no idea has been done to them. Colonization has impacted our food systems. It's impacted our agriculture. It's impacted your kitchen. It's impacted your bank account. And you don't even know that it's happening to you, but you are going to be set straight on a path of decolonizing your plate, which allows you to decolonize your life, which ultimately means you take back the power that was stripped from you and you are going to reclaim that. And from that place, standing in your power, you're going to be able to go out there and be of service to your body, to your health, to your mind, to your community and your family and the rest of the world. So join us this June for Decolonizing Your Plate and back to the show. So then what were you eating then? So you went from spending half your salary on fast food <laughs> to then what did you start eating afterwards? Because how, how did you do this? Like, did you go get recipe books? Did you like, what were you substituting out? <laughs> so they, they give you this menu that you're supposed to follow. And it is like, just got awful, right? In hindsight, you look back, it's just like, ugh. it's like baby bell cheese. Um, you know, all kinds of like lean meat uh, that you're supposed to eat. They really encourage you to eat uh, ham and cheese roll-ups, not the bread, uh, but you take a slice of that uh, cheese, whether it's cheddar American, and then you just roll it up in a, in a slice Chuck, of ham. Chuck, I'm sorry. I'm having a moment here where I cannot even believe this is what they're recommending to people who had bariatric surgery. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, man. I got the menu somewhere around here. Like it's, it's just, it's insane. 
And so I want to cry like it's this. Yeah. this yeah. Oh, oh, okay. It's, it's bad. Um, so, but beyond that, like I'm also essentially living off of Metafast bars at this point uh, because they were so convenient and I was never home to be able to cook or whatever. And so like breakfast, lunch, dinner was nine times out of 10, a chocolate peanut butter Metafast bar. Um, but if, if you've had bariatric surgery and you're hearing this word of warning, don't eat these things. Cause you will get rancid gas rancid. Uh, and, and I guess it's just because of the sugar alcohols that were in this thing and your newly rewired gut, but good Lord, you can clear a room and the one next to it. Um, wow. it, it was just God, God, God awful. And, you know, come to find out like my gut. Uh, yeah, it, it, even though I was smaller, definitely not healthy at this point. Right. Um, but eventually though, uh, you know, I did discover more about healthier eating because I was dating a, a girl who I actually went to high school with and had a crush on at that point. Um, she, she was a holistic nutritionist, not vegan, but she was the one that really kind of got me going, um, in a healthier direction. It was like metafast. Like, have you read the, have you read the ingredients on this boy? Like, come on now. Um, and I was like, no, and she's like soy protein isolate. That is your first red flag. And then can you even pronounce the next word? I was like, no, then you probably shouldn't be eating it. Should you? No. So then we went across the street to the grocery store and, and, you know, learned how to eat healthy, what I thought wow. was healthy at the time. What an angel to drop back into your life. And, you know, well, so, <laughs> so <maybe> not. <laughs> I mean, angel on that part of things, but there's another podcast <laughs> that we could do where, yeah, well, we're, huh, that angel, not so much. Anyway, right. um, we're going to have yeah, to do like that I podcast. <laughs> I'm grateful for everything that's happened. Yes, okay, um, good. me too. I'll be grateful for her, <laughs> even when I hear the real story. <laughs> so, um, but then, so a few years later, at this point, I'm working uh, as a sports journalist and I'm doing an interview uh, with a professional wrestler. And he has just written a book about uh, how he was able to climb the ranks in his profession, get all the way to the top. I mean, this is a guy that's wrestled at WrestleMania. Um, and he, he did it all as, as, you know, a vegan, you know, this is a guy that grew up in Wisconsin where, you know, nothing but meat and cheese, like the famed cheeseheads are from Wisconsin. And so if he's able to take all of that out of his life and eat exclusively plants, and he's explaining to me, like, I should read this book. I should watch this documentary. Like he knows that I, I think I'm a healthy eater. Um, and I have a keen interest in it that I, I would be interested in this. And sure enough, like that's what got me down the, the vegan uh, path. But like you said, you know, just a few minutes ago, it wasn't necessarily the healthiest thing at first. There was definitely a feeling out period that was filled with a lot of those uh, processed vegan dinners that you see in the frozen food section, mm -hmm. you know, and so your impossibles and your gardenes and things like that uh, certainly had plenty of them in the refrigerator. Right. And so even with eating this way now, now you've switched over to this way of eating, um, how was your health? So let's not talk about your weight, but how was your health during this time? 
Much better. I mean, yeah. I wasn't on blood pressure medication anymore. That's for Dagolin sure. And okay. um, I went from not being able to walk 10 steps to walking five miles every day on my lunch break, which, wow. you know, that was that was a real kick in the pants. Like I decided I'm not going to the gym. I'm just going to walk on my lunch break. And that way, by the time I go home, I don't even have to worry about the gym when I'm already exactly. tired. Like I've got my exercise out of the way. And so like, that was really cool. So cardio is good. I thought my eating was good. Blood pressure is under control. Like all the boxes are being checked, uh, except for, you know, the occasional struggle with, with depression. Yeah. Um, everything was, was really copacetic. I was healthy, literally healthier than I had ever been, uh, probably in my entire life dating all yeah. the way back to that little kid who stepped on the scale in elementary school and promptly told the adult next to him that he needed to go on a diet. Right. Right. And so then, so, but this isn't, but we're still not at the place where you discover real, true, like Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, plant-based eating. So what, what did that journey look like to get there? Well, uh, so that really kicked into overdrive once I started to do the exam room and I, the Physicians Committee uh, have, there we go, popped up on my radar um, a few years earlier uh, when I actually was asked to do a PSA with them. I was doing a radio show with a NFL player who played for the team here in Washington, DC, where I am. And um, he had given me the name, the weight loss champion and our agent, his wife had a connection to the organization. Anyway, that's how I wound up being introduced to PCRM. And so I just kind of like kept them tucked in my back pocket. And then pitched the idea for doing the podcast, had started reading more, watching documentaries, Forks Over Knives, what the hell, you know, all, all the standards. And, um, and really just kind of went all in on that. And so um, at the beginning of the show, like you go back to episode one, man, like I, I'm still kind of in this, this feeling out period. So as much as I'm asking these questions of the doctors and of the experts for the listeners, uh, I'm asking them even more so for myself, because I'm thirsty to learn at that point, right? So right. like, I want to quench this thirst. And the more questions I ask, and the more I learn, the healthier I can become and feel better about things. And so, um, and, and honestly, to this day, like I'm still learning. You know, yeah. every single day, there's more research out there, there's new research out there. And, and what we thought was one way isn't necessarily the case. And, and instead, we should be looking more in this direction and a little bit more of this and a little bit more of that. And it's just, it's cool, like, you never stop learning. And because, mm -hmm. you know, you kind of like, I've, I've, uh, switched uh, insatiable appetite for fast food now with an insatiable appetite for knowledge. Like I'm mm. feeling pretty optimistic about what the future holds. Oh, I love that. Switching your insatiable appetite for fast food for an insatiable appetite for knowledge. Ooh, that's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And so now what does life look like for you? You're married, you have a beautiful wife and beautiful inside, outside, everywhere. Um, and, and what's life look like for you now? Oh man, it's as good as it's ever been. Um, I am happily married to uh, a woman who I had a crush on for many years. Um, she and I had many of the same friends, mutual acquaintances because she also worked in media. 
And like, I used to watch her on TV in the mornings and I was like, Oh, that's a perfect 10 right there. And there was just something about Julie that just like, I was so attracted to her and, and, and then just getting the confidence one day just to ask her out because if, you know, I was a reporter at mm -hmm. one of the stations where she was doing traffic reports and, uh, and I just struck up a conversation with her one day. And, um, I mean, we really hit it off, but then, but then, so my confidence was still kind of shook from what happened when I was working at WBIG and I had the girl that, that hit me. So I was like, there's no way this is ever going to work out. So I shut down communications like overnight, just shut it down. And like Julie, who is very well known in the Washington DC market, like she's even won an Emmy award. Right. So yeah. she's, she's like really kind of a celebrity here. And anyway, she sends her goon squad after me. She's like, don't you know who I am? I'm Julie freaking right. You, you and you don't want to talk to me. No, 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 no. She sends all of her friends like, why, why aren't you talking to Julie anymore? And I hear it from one and then I hear it from another. And so eventually I'm like, I hear you're looking for me. And then, and then I'm like, okay, I'm just going to throw caution to the wind. I'm going to ask her out on a date. And um, sure enough, I did. And, uh, and I tested her, Nicolette. I tested her. I said, all right, well, let's go to this restaurant, which is kind of like a hole in the wall place. It was close to me, but a half hour from where she was. And it was a completely vegetarian uh, restaurant uh, called the Sunflower, which is in a little town called Vienna, Virginia, which is uh, right outside of Washington, D.C., and um, I ate there and she met me and we wound up having what we thought was going to be a one hour dinner turned into uh, a really, really great first date where it, we just spent the whole night talking and mm. haven't been apart ever since. That is amazing. And now here you are, you, you spoke at Planted Expo and you, I loved your presentation because you were talking about the vegan food you used to eat, which was really highly processed and really highly, um, you know, packaged. And then now you have a lifestyle of plant-based whole food living. Is that correct? For sure. 100%. Yeah. I mean, I've got to walk the walk and talk the talk. And talk the talk. And do you ever get cravings? at yes. all ever. Okay, good. Yeah. I'm glad that you said because I do too. And people think that, you know, just because we eat clean food, you know, most of the time, you know, we still get those cravings because those foods are highly addictive. So what do you do when you get those cravings? I kind of pause and it took me a while to get to this point. But the way that I work now is that I just kind of tell myself like this too shall pass yeah. because it has passed many times. Uh, over the last 12 years. And so you've done it so many times, you know that you can do it again this time. And what really helps though, is instead of really fighting the craving um, and really just like beating yourself up for even having a craving for a, a you know, a grilled stuffed burrito, um, you know, which, which got me to 420 pounds is like, instead of beating yourself up for having that craving, you accept it. You mm -hmm. just say, okay, I'm, I'm having this craving right now. And the next like five, 10 minutes, they're going to suck. Maybe yeah. it'll be 15 or as much as a half an hour that you're going to be fixated on this. But just by giving yourself permission to 
accept the fact that you're going to be uncomfortable for a little bit and it's okay to be comfortable or uncomfortable. Yeah. It somehow makes it easier to get through because you're, you're, you're not beating yourself up. You're not saying that there's anything wrong with you because you're having this craving. No, you're perfectly freaking normal. And that tells you that you're going to be okay in time. Mm. And then you couple that with the fact that you also remind yourself that, well, if you give into this craving and you know that, you know, you'd be cashing in like relief for a short term. And then the, the brunt, like the, the payback on that is just hell because you're okay. Then if you give in for a short time, but then you've got to start all over from the beginning mm -hmm. because you're playing with fire. You're going to get burned. You're going to put that weight back on. That's the way I look at it. I would rather not even pick up that book of matches and, and just accept the suck for, you know, however long it's going to suck. Accept the suck. That's going to be suck. our, that's going to be our new bumper sticker check. <laughs> Accept the suck. Like it's okay to be uncomfortable for half an hour because yep. that'll pass to acknowledge it. This is, I think this is a really profound piece of this uh, show. So if everybody's listening right now, you press that, you know, reverse 15 seconds, verse 30 seconds and listen to this part again and again and again, because it like what Chuck is saying here is so, so important. We're in a, in a world where we humans, if you're living in a developed country, um, you know, Western state province country, then everything is at our fingertips. But just because it's at our fingertips doesn't mean we need to reach for it because 99% of that stuff that's at our fingertips is not serving us. It's not serving our mental health, our physical health, our relationships, our, you know, careers. And so it's okay to be uncomfortable. You have a jacket to wear in the winter for most people who are listening to this podcast. If you're listening to it, you are comfortable and probably too comfortable to the point where now your brain is constantly like comfort, 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 but our growth comes in being uncomfortable and just play in that space, play in that space, right? It's yeah. gross. It's yucky. It's icky, but just play in it and get curious and allow yourself to feel it as opposed to run away from it. Cause that's what we all want to do. We want to run away from being uncomfortable as opposed to putting on our astronaut posture suit and just like exploring it, just go where, go where no man has gone before into that place of being uncomfortable. And guess what? You're not going to die in that space. No. You're just going to feel uncomfortable. No. And you know what? You're going to come out feeling even better. Like that's the thing. That's the craziest thing is like as uncomfortable and as much as you are not enjoying that moment at the time. Yeah. God, you feel so freaking good once that passes because you've proven to yourself again that you can get through it without giving into temptation. You have yeah. that power. Like you are a stronger being than you give yourself credit for. And the yeah. confidence that comes with that is something that's almost indescribable. Yeah. Indescribable. I love that. And we can start, everybody who's listening to this can start to give themselves that gift because that gift is actually just strengthening a muscle, right? It's just strengthening. And we're not asking you just to strengthen willpower because we know willpower is really, really challenging. We're just asking you to face that uncomfortableness, even if it's for a minute, you can even put a timer on your phone, but I love that you're going to be strengthening that muscle. And then what comes out on the other side is just more rewarding than anything else that is out there. I fully agree with that. So 
one thing I have to ask you, Chuck, and I want to dive into this because of the fact that I'm sure people call like try and reach out to you and they're like, listen, um, I'm overweight. I'm battling this. I want to lose weight. And we get people who um, don't come to us for weight loss. They come to us because they want to reverse their chronic disease. But then if we ever talk about weight loss anywhere in our websites, in our podcasts, then that's when we get the fat shaming emails. So I want to talk about that. And I would love for you to comment on that because um, of the fact that, yes, it is, we should not be fat shaming 100%. We should not ever be putting anybody down. We should not be telling people to lose weight for the sake of just losing weight to be skinny. Um, you know, for me, it comes from a different standpoint, but if you can comment on that a little bit, I think it's just really important because this is a discussion that really needs to be happening out there while we have Instagram, you know, celebrating obesity. Mm-hmm. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, but then not going further to have the conversation. It's like, it doesn't matter what size you are. If you're healthy, that is amazing. Even if you're not unhealthy, we're still going to love you. I'm still going to love you. No question. But at the same time, do you really need to have that heart attack, have the diabetes, have the mental health issues that go along with those two conditions? you know, what, you know, we need to reframe this. And so I'd love to hear it directly from you about that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Can truly look like. Yeah. This is definitely a delicate one. And when I talk about this, I talk about it from the perspective of me as the 420 pound version of myself. And I have, I have even been accused of fat shaming um, which, yeah, I don't want to say it's laughable. Um, but you know, clearly people aren't necessarily hearing what it is that I'm trying to say, because I'm talking about, you don't necessarily have to struggle with your weight. You don't have to be obese. That doesn't mean that I'm saying obese people are bad or they're any less than anybody else on the face of the earth. As you just said, no. Every single person, whether they're 100 pounds or 1,000 pounds, deserves the same amount of respect. There should Mm -hmm. absolutely be an equal playing field. That said, those same kind of excuses I was talking about earlier that we make up for ourselves, you know, every single reason why we don't have to change, this is one of them. Mm-hmm. this this societal acceptance of um, normalization of being overweight. And it it's just, you are absolutely entitled to eat what you want, live how you want, but don't kid yourself either that because you're seeing more and more and more of this and people are, it's, it's no longer, there's not this rebellion against it. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that you're not going to face those same health struggles, right? If you choose to be 420 pounds, more power to you. Matter of fact, I will even support you. But when you have people out there who are like, 
yes, honey, I'm going to eat this 560 calorie Big Mac. And then I'm going to put a filet of fish on top of that. And then I'm going to eat two helpings of fries and wash that down with a shake. And I'm going to celebrate myself because that's me. That is kind of, I'm like, are you really saying that? Because that's how you want to live your life? Or are you saying that because you don't want to face an uncomfortable reality? You don't want to go to that uncomfortable space that you were just talking about a few minutes ago. And that goes to also the marketing that we're seeing, you know, the changing of things like back in the day, it was unthinkable for there to be like a tracksuit in 6XL. And, uh, you know, and, and I can guarantee you that the old version of me would see that and say, oh, well, this is a tracksuit. A tracksuit fits me. People who wear tracksuits are healthy. Therefore, even at 420 pounds and I can't walk 10 feet, I'm healthy. And that's the way that I would interpret that. Those are the games that people play in their mind with themselves that, uh, are, are frankly for your health, it's dangerous, but with this marketing, they are essentially handing you another excuse on a silver platter, not to at least consider entertaining, going and living in that uncomfortable space and seeing if you can make healthier decisions. Again, if you choose not to make those decisions and that truly is how you want to live your life. Cool more power to you. I will support you 1000%. Again, we're all equal, but don't bullshit yourself at the same time. Yeah. Don't, you know, like have a hard conversation with yourself, look in the mirror and be like, yeah. what am I truly doing with this? Yeah. And so that's kind of how I feel. Yeah, no. And I agree with you on that point too, because I, with my clients often see the, um, the symptoms that go along with obesity and those symptoms are scary. Like you said, feeling that, you know, elephant on your chest or having your insulin numbers be so high that that's affecting your brain health or having the gut health issues that goes along with that, or not being able to partake in your life. So with my clients, when they, you know, switch their, their diet to not another diet, but to what is actually a lifestyle. And I think that's the other part too, that when you eat the way that I eat and the way that you eat, we never have to count another calorie again. Do you know how liberating and freeing that is? We never have to worry about going to the doctors because your blood pressure is too high. You never have to worry about going to the doctors because of, you know, all of these symptoms that truly are detrimental to your health, right? So then you have all of that energy that's free to be able to go and put that towards whatever it is that you love in life, whether it's your career or your play and your adventure and your activities or your athleticism or whatever it is. So you actually get to conserve energy by not having to deal with all of those other symptoms. And, 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 and look, I mean, let me just say, I'm a poster boy for that mm -hmm. because once you prove to yourself that you can do something that you thought was impossible and you stop buying into those excuses and you start buying into yourself, once you get control of that, you, you've proven that to yourself. Like you get to ask yourself the coolest question ever. And that is, what do I want to be when I grow up? And you can ask yourself that question at any age. That's yeah. how I went. Uh, into sports journalism. I always right. love sports. 
And that's kind of what led me, you know, ultimately to where I am today was, but, but, but like being able to be on the sidelines for a professional football game meant the world to me being in the locker room, befriending the players was the greatest thing ever, you know, and that was me living my true life, you know, and, and, and living it to the best of my ability. And, and, and I continue that to this day because I honestly look at things I evaluate, is this an excuse? Is this the real deal? Nine times out of 10, it's BS. Yeah. And so I just, I, I continue to make the healthier choices, man. And, and just, it's okay. Again, I love how you put this. It is okay to live in an, in an uncomfortable space. And the only way you're going to truly find out just how extraordinary you can be is by living in that space. Yeah. So at least entertain it, at least try it for a little while. If you hate it, go back to your old ways. Again, I will support you. Nicolette, I know you will support the person too. Yeah, 100%. But don't sell yourself short. That is a good way to wrap up this show because uh, there's just so much like valuable content in here. You can write a book for sure. But until that book is written, where do people find you, Chuck? And also the second question, if someone is willing to live in that uncomfortable space, if they're willing to step into that uncomfortable space after listening to this show, how can you support them? Where should they go? What's that one thing that they, that one step that they should take? The, the first thing they should do uh, is uh, subscribe to the exam room podcast by the physicians committee. Um, if you're interested in learning all about plant-based nutrition and what optimal health honestly is, you really want to get uncomfortable, man, you subscribe mm -hmm. to that podcast and you go back to episode one and you just start binge listening on that. Nice. Right. And so you just, you raise your health IQ. That's the way that I put it, you know, uh, with the exam room is, is let's raise our health IQ. And so the more knowledge you acquire, um, the, the more of an appetite you're going to gain or thirst uh, you'll gain for living a healthier life. So that's number one. But number two is, you know, a lot of times it helps just to talk, you know, like mm -hmm. reach out to somebody who probably understands maybe has been in your shoes. And that's why I love it when I get messages from listeners who are struggling with their health or struggling with their weight, you know, um, and so you're always, always, always free to reach out to me on any social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I'm at Chuck Carroll WLC. Um, and I would love it, you know, just to get a conversation started with you. Um, and just let me be a reminder that you can do something that you think is impossible. Because mm -hmm. myself, Josh Lajani, who I know has been on your show before my boy, yeah. um, he has, he's not Superman either. He also, at one point in his life, weighed 420 pounds. All of these incredible success stories that you see, we don't have a magical superpower, right? No. We're just human beings. And we, uh, you, I should say, have everything that we do inside of you already to make the change. Mm -hmm. We're not special, which means you're not special either, but in the good kind of way is what I'm trying to say with that. Yeah. You already have what it takes. So just recognize that, that you're so much more powerful than you give yourself credit for. Believe in yourself yeah. and try to make some changes. See what happens. That is 
Beautiful. I love that. So if anybody's out there wanting to get uncomfortable, wanting to switch your addiction from food to something else, let's switch it to an addiction to learning and knowledge. Chuck, that was awesome. Thank you so much for sharing this story on our show. We're definitely going to have to have you on again because there are so much, so many areas that we can dive into even deeper. Thank you. Thank you. You are more than welcome. Thank you. Thank you all for being with us. Thank you to Chuck for his vulnerability, for his honesty, for letting us dive in and really get to know how he was able to do something that 75% of North Americans are currently not able to do right now. I remember being a little kid and learning that the obesity rate was 25% and 25% of North Americans were obese. And that was about 30 years ago. And now we are up to 75%. So my friends, you know what to do. Share this podcast, share Chuck's story, start helping your family, your community, learn about using clean, real, whole, unrefined plant-based whole foods so that they can eat real to heal. It's not about losing weight. It is about reclaiming your health, getting healthy so you can live a long, abundant life. So thank you all. Thanks to Becky. Thanks to Mary Lynn for kicking off this podcast and Becky for keeping it going. Chuck for sharing your story and to you, the listeners, for being just incredible human beings, for showing up every week to listen to the new shows. Please don't ever hesitate to reach out to us at info at richerhealth.ca and let us know if there's a healing hero in your community that you would like for us to have on the show. They don't have to be famous. They don't have to have a million followers. They just need to be somebody who decided to take their health into their own hands and they decided to eat real to heal. Thanks everyone. See you next week with another amazing show. Bye-bye. <laughs>